a gigantic part of the adult child's journey for me has been coming out of denial. And the Big Red Book says that denial is the glue that holds dysfunctional families together. And because family dysfunction is intergenerational, it gets passed down from generation to generation. It makes total sense that it, denial is the glue that holds dysfunctional families together because who the fuck would ever purposely pass down dysfunction to their children? Nobody. So we have to be in denial about it in order to keep it going. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on social media. And if you do, please be sure to tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 191, How I Came Out of Denial, My ACA Story. What you're about to hear is different from anything I've published on this podcast. This is an actual share from an ACA meeting, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. I usually record my shares when I speak in a meeting for my own purposes so I can go back and listen over time to see how things have changed, how I've changed. This time, one of my fellows in recovery who happens to be a loyal podcast fan asked if I was going to publish it on the podcast, and I'd actually never thought about doing that. She assumed that was why I was recording it. So I thought about it and I was like, well, let me check with my podcast manager and see if the audio would be acceptable. She said it was. So that's what I'm going to do. I do want to tell you that the audio quality will not be quite the same as it normally is, but here goes. I'm 59. I was 52 when I got into recovery. That was after a lifetime of therapy, seven bajillion self-help books, retreats, workshops, spiritual stuff, workbooks, everything, you name it. Uh, none of those therapists, none of that stuff ever told me I was an adult child. I had been traumatized. I had no boundaries. I had victim mentality that I lied, that I had a substance abuse problem, that I was a compulsive overeater, like none of it. So a gigantic part of the adult child's journey for me has been coming out of denial. And the Big Red Book, which is our main piece of literature, says that denial is the glue that holds dysfunctional families together. And because family dysfunction is intergenerational, it gets passed down from generation to generation. It makes total sense that it, denial is the glue that holds dysfunctional families together because who the fuck would ever purposely pass down dysfunction to their children? Nobody. 
So we have to be in denial about it in order to keep it going. My denial continues to live. So I'm seven and a half years into recovery. I feel like I have pretty solid recovery. And I'm shit is still just coming clear to me that I just did not know. And it's just astonishing to me how much I did not know and how things that once I learned them, they seem patently obvious, but I was just, just so completely blind to them. The one thing I did know when I got into recovery was that I had a string of dysfunctional relationships. So I happen to be a heterosexual woman. So all the people I've dated are men. And when I did my relationship inventory, the first time I did it, I only did it on romantic relationships. And there were 28 men on that list, some of whom I lived with, some of whom I was in long-term relationships. And it was very clear, boyfriend and girlfriend, some of whom I sucked their dick. (laughs) And some of whom I had as friends with benefits. But that was really the only thing that I was very clear And I used to think of it as had like I had like a broken picker. It was like I had this lever that was broken. And I never thought about the part where I wasn't just picking them bad. I was holding on to them bad. And what I can see now, like one of the pieces of denial I've come out of is that before recovery, I thought subconsciously that I was responsible for all the good shit that happened in our relationships. And he was responsible for all of the bad shit. And like on the face of that, that's just ridiculous, right? But that's clearly what I thought. And that was how I operated. And I am now in a very healthy, loving, wonderful relationship. And we've been together for four years. And I actually know how to be in relationship with not just my partner, but other humans. So I mentioned I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm, I'm down over 100 pounds from my top weight and been utterly transformed by Overeaters Anonymous. And we use uh, AA literature. And one of the promises in AA is we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And let me tell you something. That rings so true for me and especially in my relationship. Shit comes out of my mouth and I'm like, Where did that come from? Because I didn't know how to talk and relate in the past. And what happens to me often in my relationship is I will be in a situation with him and I'm experiencing it and I'm present, but at the same time, I'm observing it. And I'm like, oh, this would have gone really different in the past. And one of the things I can see is that like deep down, I had a foot out the door because like, it's just not going to work out. And so it's constantly like, building a case against him, like just brick by brick, building the wall higher and thicker, just building a case against, you know, why he was wrong and I was right and why this isn't going to work out. I would say at my core, my deepest wound is codependence. I think of myself now as a recovered codependent that I think that's actually possible What I learned pretty early in recovery is that codependence is a result of trauma. And I remember hearing the psychotherapist say one day that she's been around for decades. And she said, you know, the theory and research on trauma has advanced beyond codependence. What we know now is that codependence is usually a result of trauma. And here's why, because when you're traumatized, you're in fight or flight mode, which means you're, you're basically operating out of your lizard brain. Well, the frontal lobe, the human part of the brain, 
which is where abstract thinking takes place, is where the self is created because the self is an abstract, ever-changing concept. So when you're traumatized, you can't get to the frontal lobe. You can't get to self. So you must go outside of yourself. And that's why codependents are so focused outside themselves. And for some reason, hearing that, it was like all this stuff fell into place for me. And I really understood it because I remember it in the beginning being like, what the fuck is this codependence thing? Like, I can't like wrap my hands around it and really understand it. And that really helped me a lot to understand that because, you know, I was the consummate like people pleaser, rescuer, savior, fixer, constantly like needed to be like on, like on the ready for like fix you or the situation or rescue the whatever the organization or whatever was going on. It's a compulsion. And for me, I think the greatest gift of recovery is choice. So I get to choose my food. I get to choose not to drink, to drug, to act out in various other ways. I get to choose when and where and who and why I'm going to help people or if I'm going to help people. I get to choose my thoughts. Like, I didn't know I wasn't choosing my thoughts. I had done a lot of work in my late 20s to clean up the negative self-talk. Turns out there was a lot more going on in there. I ruminated, didn't know that. I am the eternal optimist. And the idea that I could be an optimist and ruminate and catastrophize is just like, how is this possible? But it's true. The fact that I don't have to believe my thoughts, like, I didn't know that. So unlike many people in ACA, I tend to be more on the arrogant side than on the I'm a piece of shit side, though I have those thoughts too. So for example, a thought that I would often think was, you know, well, if everybody would just do things my way, then everything would be fine. And I still think thoughts like that sometimes. I just know that they're bullshit now. But in the past, like I thought that I didn't really have any evidence because, you know, my life was a mess. My finances were, were a mess for much of my life. My health was a mess. Obviously, I was over 100 pounds overweight. All my relationships were a mess. My house was a mess. Like every area of my life. And I remember when I was doing step one in OA, I was a year into this program when I got to OA. And I was doing step one. And my sponsor had me writing out all the ways in which my life had been unmanageable. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, I cannot run one area of my life well. And I think people should listen to me. And I remember I always did my step work in my bed. And I remember, you know, when you laugh so hard that your ribs hurt and I was holding my ribs, rolling back and forth, just laughing, laughing just so hard at the utter ridiculousness of it. And for me, that was a spiritual awakening that I saw myself for real in a way for the first time that I could see like, wow, you've been walking around thinking I got it together and you so don't. And this is a phrase I learned in recovery. So helpful. This is info, not ammo. So this is information for me to understand and learn and grow from. It is not ammunition for me to beat myself up. So I could have been like, oh, you're such a piece of shit. Look at you. You don't know how to do anything right. And here you are telling everybody how to run their lives. But I was in recovery long enough to know, no, this is info, not ammo. 
that concept, info, not ammo, has helped me so much because even though I've always had high self-esteem, I like myself, I realized I was kind of always looking for a reason to beg to shut out of myself. And what I've learned really just in the last couple of years is I had low self-worth. So when I look back at my behavior over the course of my life, that is not the behavior of someone who feels worthy, who really values herself. I put myself in harm's way so many times. I treated myself horribly, especially my physical body. The stuff I put into this body is crazy. What I'm telling you is more about like coming out of denial about who I am. I think for me, the greatest Okay, one of the greatest gifts is seeing my part in things. I literally had no idea what I had been doing in my life to create the chaos that was going on around me or to exacerbate the chaos that was going on. And it's really step four that gives that gift. And I think, you know, the way we do step four in this program is so much more gentle than in like the traditional AA way, because in OA, Step four is what I did. In ACA, step four is what happened to me. And I still can get at what I did by way of what happened to me, but we get in this program, I am a product of my environment. Whereas in OA, like I wasn't allowed to look at my environment. It was like, you are like selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And that is true. But I got that way for a reason because I'm a product of my environment. So I want to talk more about what it's like now. So, you know, the basic way to tell your story, I've been told, is what I was like, what happened to me, and what I'm like now. So what I'm like now is I'm an honest person. You know, when I said earlier that I can handle whatever, I intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me, I think it has to do with honesty. Because what I do is just say the truth. And sometimes if I'm not really clear, I'll just be like, I'm really uncomfortable with this. And like, that's the truth. Like, I just didn't have the option. It just didn't feel like an option to just say the truth about things. In this program, we say the three major rules of dysfunctional families are don't talk, don't trust, and don't feel. And that has a lot to do with why I didn't have the ability to directly communicate what was going on with me. And I really thought I was an honest person when I got into recovery. And I lied about cigarettes. I lied about drugs. I lied about alcohol. I lied about lots of my behavior. I mainly lied in the people-pleasing department. I said shit was okay with me when it so was not. I pretended I liked things that I didn't. I went along with things I didn't agree with. I also pretended I didn't like things that I did. And so I have come out of the closet as a Hallmark movie channel buff. And it's funny to say that, but I literally didn't tell people for quite some time because I was afraid to be judged because it's, oh, well, they're going to think it's sappy. Well, here's the thing. It is sappy. I like sappy. So I used to watch CSI, Criminal Minds, you know, Law and Order. And I was like, because I was, I lived in that state of like, you know, on the ready and, you know, in fight or flight mode all the time. And I can't handle those shows anymore. I cannot handle it. So I watch Hallmark and I feel like that's a really good. So what I was like before was Criminal Minds and what I like now is Hallmark Channel. But I didn't want people to know that I liked the Hallmark Channel because I didn't want them to judge me. And what I've learned in recovery is humans are judging, discerning creatures. We make judgments. We have to. 
So I'm going to be judged. But why don't I get judged for the actual me instead of all these fake versions of me? Because I had all these different facades up before recovery. And, you know, the promise number one in this program is we will discover our real identity. And that has happened for me. And I think actually I should be discover slash create because discover means like, oh, there's something there and you just have to like brush it off and find it. Well, I didn't get to create my real identity because it got warped by being in a dysfunctional family. And my real identity, among other things, is woman who likes Hallmark movies. And I've been able to do that, I think, by setting boundaries. I, there's a couple of guys I know that are both 30 years-ish in ACA and AA, and they both have said to me separately in different ways. In AA, it doesn't say in the steps, put down the drink but you cannot recover without putting down the drink. Well, in ACA, it doesn't say in the steps, form healthy boundaries, but you cannot recover without forming healthy boundaries. And that to me is how our real identity is discovered. Because what I learned, and I learned how to set boundaries in this program, and also in OA, my food plan really helped me a lot with setting boundaries. You have to experiment. You don't know what your boundaries are because you don't know what's okay with you. If you're like me and you were people pleasing your whole life, you're like, actually, I don't really know what I like. So you set a boundary and then you see like, how does that feel? And then you experiment with it. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is what I like. You know, I like Hallmark movies. What else do I want to say? Other things I'm capable of doing. I can have difficult conversations. I would rather have a difficult conversation with someone and be honest and truthful with them and get it over with than carry that crap around with me for the rest of my life. I've learned how to do it in a much more diplomatic way. I can admit when I'm wrong, like, oh my God, I cannot tell you what a relief it is to be able to say, oh, my bad, I'm wrong. And here's another thing I can do. I can say, I don't know. To this day, when I say I don't know, I'm like, I don't know. And it makes me so happy because I grew up in a family where you better fucking know. And if you don't know, goddamn, make something up and defend it to the death. Because that's what I did. I would make shit up. I would make educated guesses. Okay. And then I would hold on to that like it was handed down to me by God and defend it because I couldn't be wrong. Because when you grow up in a dysfunctional family, being wrong is too threatening. It's just too threatening because I had to make sense of my world in this, you know, with my little teeny brain when I was little. And so I needed to be right. It felt like I was going to die if I was not. I'm trying to think of what else I can do. I mean, I'm happy, joyous, and free most of the time. And when I'm not, I know how to get back to it because I have a I have a tool shed of tools that are functional and healthy. I was talking with somebody recently in this program and we were talking about how we didn't have any fucking tools growing up. And I was like, wait a minute. Actually, no, I had a lot of tools. They were just dysfunctional and they made things worse. So I did things like lie and gossip and avoid and blame and shame. And, you know, now I deal with things as they come up. I deal with things as an adult. I feel like a grown woman. I was 52 when I came in this program. By the measure of society, 
I seemed like a grown woman and I probably thought that I was, but I was not operating. And I still nowadays, I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a grown up. I can't believe it. It's so foreign to me still, but it feels really good to take responsibility for my life. I'll end with this, that the biggest paradigm shift for me in recovery was coming out of victim mentality. So we say in this program, we become actors rather than reactors. And that's what that means. It means that we aren't blaming the world and other people. We're taking responsibility. We are acting instead of reacting to life. We are proactive. We make decisions about how we're going to live. And then we live that way. And I just didn't know that I had victim mentality. I could spot victims because I was going to rescue those people. But the idea that I had victim mentality was just mind blowing to me. And I think the like the crack in the door that enabled me to see that was when I was doing my relationship inventory. And I realized literally every man I ever dated, I was like, well, if he would just fill in the blank, then everything would be okay. So that was me saying, I got nothing to do with the status of this relationship. It's all on him. And so I started to be like, oh, that doesn't seem right. And then I started to see I had this mentality everywhere. So like, driving, for example, I had this major transformation in my driving life. Like I acted like traffic was happening at me or to me. It's like traffic is just happening. And I got mad that there was traffic on the highway, which was built for traffic, by the way. So coming out of victim mentality has been just such a game changer. And I think that's also what the serenity prayer is talking about. You know, I'm coming to see what I can and cannot change, and then getting the courage to change the things I can. Thank you for letting me share. I was recently reminded by a friend that when I first started recovery, I didn't feel lovable. I almost can't believe that I used to feel that way and that I kind of forgot something so profound because I truly love myself now. And I want that for everybody. If you don't love yourself, there's literally nothing that can make up for that. I created something exclusively for my private clients since many of them don't love themselves. And I've now opened up my private vault to share it with up to 10 people individually. It's called the Self Love Sprint. You'll grow to love yourself and truly feel worthy. So you can stop saying yes when you really wanna say no. Stop neglecting yourself and putting everyone else first. Stop saying all kinds of nasty shit to yourself. That is not what people who love themselves and feel deserving do. You'll stop being afraid that others will think that you're selfish for taking time to care for yourself. This is also for you if you don't really know who you are because you've always been such a fucking chameleon. Go to higherpowercc.com slash love sprint. Remember, I'm only offering 10 of these, so don't wait. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're gonna love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or If you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, 
go to patreon.com slash higher power coaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listen to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep, lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.